Hey everybody, welcome to episode 65 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with David Pacito. Hey, what's going on? Not much. And Jimmy Duresta. Hello everybody, thanks for having me back. <laughs> thanks for being back on the show, Jimmy. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's nice to have you back. It's been a long time. Thank you. <laughs> what's, what's going on? Oh, nothing. Just uh, working, working. I, I spent this weekend upstate, which was really nice. I got so much done. I've been selling a lot of ice picks, so this weekend I was able to make some ice picks upstate. Well, not fully. I was able to get a lot done of one of the phases, which I'll talk a little bit more about in the, in the episode. But uh, I was able to do some homework, which I haven't been able to do in a while, because we, we rent the house, so the house is rented quite often. And in between, we're kind of just getting it ready for the next renters. But this weekend, I did some crown molding, and that has been missing for a couple of years in the kitchen. And then I did some window frames years ago when I had a porch roof put on and I wanted to match a roof line that is a different part of the house. The carpenters who were putting the roof up called me and they go, we have bad news. I go, what? They go, we have part of the roof built and it's wrapping around to the other side of the house and all the windows are three inches lower. So we have to build the windows right across. We have to build the roof line right across where the windows are. I go, so what do we do? He goes, we have to rip the windows out, reframe them and move them up five or six inches. And then he, I said, oh, hmm. that, that like added like another $8,000 to the bill. I was like, well, do what you got to do. I'm not going to have a roof line going through the window. And he called me back about four hours later and goes, good news. I go, what? He goes, there was space inside of the window jam because the previous windows were much longer. So we were able to rip out your window jams and move them up 10 inches. Huh. So because wow. the house has been remodeled a hundred times. So that was all hidden by the siding. So he was able to do that. But the inside molding was all ripped off of the four windows on that side of the house forever. And I, he goes, if you want to save money, you do it yourself. And so I finally did it four years later. So that was a fun <laughs> job. I did not make a video of that, which I probably should have in hindsight, but it didn't have like a really good beginning, middle and end. It was just a lot of minutia work running back and forth from the garage. So it would have been a real difficult thing to film. But I did Snapchat all that stuff. So if anybody's following me there, they could have seen some of that. That's that's what I've been doing lately. Some of the boring stuff I Snapchat because it's quick and easy to do. Hmm. But that was fun. So it's very rewarding to do some housework and get it behind you. So and now back in the shop, I'm working on uh, my Core 77 video, which is going to be these uh, divider screens, which I don't know if anybody noticed on Snapchat. I'm, I'm making these 30 by 70 inch screens on a CNC that's only 18 by 24 inches. So I'm layering a stack of quarter-inch wood at a time and CNCing them and then tiling them together. It's coming out pretty good. So that's fun. Yeah, I saw a picture of that. It looks really pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to post another picture in a minute in, uh, of the screens with the frames on them. The frames are in, in progress, but uh, it, it's coming together. They're tightening up. Nice. Yeah, and that's it. And then I'm dealing with a lot of um, tweets and messages because my figurine has been shipped and a lot of people are getting them all around the United States. So I can't wait to see people cutting the heads off and plunging the toilet with them and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Hmm. Ideas. Yeah. Hmm. A- FYI, it does float in the bathtub. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It's made out of uh, like an alumalite or like a smooth on casted resin. So it's probably more of a polyester resin. So it's like a surfboardy resin. Hmm. Yeah. So Yeah, I got, I got mine in. <laughs> you say that like all reserve, like I got mine. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it yet. <laughs> so I got the, uh, I got the unpainted one. Oh, cool. And, uh, I'm, I want to, you know, it's gotta be good, right? I gotta do something. I would just like, paint it all white and then stencil the rest on the side of it. Yeah. Yeah. The head is a different color cause they needed like a base color for the flesh tone. 
Uh, so uh, the head is a different color than the than the body because uh, to paint that flesh tone would uh, would like gum up the details of the awkward looking face. Uh, it looks best from a profile view. Straight on, I look a little cockeyed. I look like I might have had some pla- plastic surgery. <laughs> well, you have from right? the frontal I mean- view. <laughs> yeah, I cool. asked him. I said we're going to talk in more detail, but I, I asked him. I was like, "Do you guys need pictures of me?" And they're like, "No, no, we have everything we need from the internet." I'm like. You sure you don't want just like good clean front? And they're like, no, no, no. And then you know you get a, a sculpt that looks like Drake, <laughs> dressed as a carpenter. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, but that's that's been my week. Nice. So I finished up the dog ram video that I talked about last time, and it ended up being a complete fail. What? Really? Yeah, it's 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 well built, uh, but the, it's too steep. And the problem with it is if I make it longer, it interferes with the gate that you enter our backyard from the driveway. And so it's kind of, it was very disappointing. It's way too steep. He he wants, the dog wants nothing to do with it. And so I'm trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out like, what should I do? Should I scrap the video? Should I just wait on it and, and make one that does work and put out one video? And then last night I decided I'm going to finish this video as a failure to show that things can go wrong. Hmm. And then I'll do a part two of how I fixed it. So that's, that's currently what I'm working on. Um, yeah, quite a, quite a disappointment, but people like to see failure videos. When I did my switchblade one for make, they, everybody really complimented me on that. So, you know, the fact yeah. that I was able to be vulnerable, I, I, the only reason it was a failure is because I didn't have time to fix it again. I just ran out of time. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. Like when I, when I have a project that doesn't come out like expect as expected, I just want to put it off for a little bit because I just need, I need a break from it. I need to move on and do something that's, that's going to make me happy. So I'm going to get back to it in a couple of weeks and then do the, do the second part of the video. So I'm not sure when the first part's coming out. Cause I have another video coming out uh, this weekend, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Hmm. It'll be a two parter for sure. So the fail, the reason or the reason that you think it failed was because the dog won't use it. Is that the, the failure of it? I knew as soon as I I it, I made it into it's it's two kind of like modular sections. There's the top platform that open up the door, and then the ramp. And I made it kind of thinking like this is this is probably going to work. And then as soon as I I got it all assembled, I, I built it in my basement, took it outside, and then assembled it, uh, put it together. And I'm like, nope, he's never going to use this. And I put him hmm. out there and he was like, what are you doing to me? There's no way I'm using this. Hmm. Um, you got to put bacon bits up the trail. <laughs> I was going to say the same <laughs> but thing. It, but it's just too, it's just too steep. You know, you and could so, put like little traction bars on it. Like, you know, take little strips of wood, like, like the, the girth of like a chopstick and put them on and give them some traction. The problem is, you know, wiener dog legs, they're about two and a half to three inches long. And, um, it's just, it's really really not going to work for him. He has he's very stubborn, so he only goes down the stairs at one speed, and that is at full speed. Hmm. He doesn't take one step at a time. He darts down them. He's ten years old, and so he's getting really old and getting really bad at stairs and tumbles a lot. I just hmm. realized this weekend my my lucky's fourteen, and he won't walk upstairs at all anymore. He used to walk up the stairs in the house. Hmm which are uncarpeted and a little slippery for him, but he does not walk. He, I can't get him to do it. He never walked down them, but now he won't walk yeah. up them. Again. 
That the same way with my dog. He will go upstairs, but he can't go downstairs. He's never been able to go downstairs. But out to the backyard is just uh, three stairs, and so he's kind of figured out how to do that. But uh, yeah, he will. He will turn ten in June. We actually share a birthday, which is nice. A coincidence, but yeah. So that's what I'm working on. Awesome. Disappointment. I'm working on disappointment. <laughs> it sounds like it's recoverable, but. It is. Yeah, it's definitely recoverable. It just means more work. Yeah. And it means what I, I think the biggest reason I'm disappointed is because I uh, I want to move on to the uh, upcycling the clock project yeah. that I got from the right. antique store. And now I'm, I have to put that off to finish this project. Hmm. Well, yeah, we'll come back to that topic because I think we should talk about that. Um, for me, I just finished up a... I'm actually working on like three videos right now, which is kind of cool. feels pretty good to, to be working on a lot of stuff and working out a bit. I'm getting ahead again, which is pretty cool. Um, but the one that's coming up will be out when this is out um, is a quiz game. So it's like, did I talk about this already? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. The buzzer. So I finished the, yeah. The buzzers. Yeah. Or the, with, the, the with, the, with, with the price in front. No. <laughs> Yeah, so I finished up the uh, the little quiz game with the lights, and I got to play with it with the kids, and they had a lot of fun with it and stuff, so it was cool. But in case you didn't hear that last week, it's uh, four controllers, these wooden plywood boxes with an arcade button in the top of them, and whoever presses the button first, it lights up, and then once one is lit up, the other ones won't light up until there's like a reset button on the main box. And the reset button turns all the lights off and kind of resets everything. So, uh, but yeah, we had fun. We had fun doing, playing with it, playing some like trivia stuff, and uh, the kids had a good time. So, working yeah. on that, and then a couple other fun things that will come up later. So, where does the trivia questions come from? From me. <laughs> Try me. Hit me with one of them. I'm really good at trivia. <laughs> we do. We do in our house. We do a lot of like animal guessing. Because it's something that all four of my kids can do, you know, like their age is spread out. But I can say, like, I'm an animal that has this color skin and has fur and claws. And do it, whatever. do it. I want to see. I want to play. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, we add we add a detail every time they can't get it. Okay. So okay. I'm an animal that's green. Frog. Nope. Lizard. Green and <laughs> has wings. Dragonfly. That's funny. My daughter said the same thing. Grass. No. And. Uh, flying lizard has has feathers. Flying flying dodo bird, parrot. Nope. Dodo bird. <laughs> it was a mallard duck. What? They have a green head. What? What? You said yeah. green. You didn't say green head. That's true. I, I may have recall. said green head to them. <laughs> okay. I want to so This is our topic for this week. <laughs> We're just going to play the We're game. We're going to guess animals. Okay. I'm an animal who. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody's um, in their car right now yelling like. <laughs> It's a mallard. A mallard. A mallard. Mallard is a tool you use when you do chisel work. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, there's a lot of people making mallards on YouTube. I made one. Uh, That's funny. (laughs) I think I might use that as the title for the episode. Actually, I'm not even joking. I was going to make a mallard over the weekend, like a big one, like a big, like one you would use to put ten poles in. I'm, I obviously know mallet and mallet, two different words. But I was going to make a big uh, tent pole mallet, but I ended up making uh, a draw pole for my make video this week. It's like a twisted 
blacksmithy thing. Oh yeah, can you t- talk about that? Like what that is? I saw the picture, but oh yeah, it's called uh, it's called a uh, a cube twist. Sometimes it's called a Rubik's cube twist, but I think uh, it's been around since before the Rubik's cube. Uh, you in the there's a lot of blacksmiths that talk about it, and and Rory May, Dirty Smith, my friend, he did it this week, which reminded me that I wanted to try it in a video because I hadn't yet made one in a video. I made one alone as an experiment. And uh, so when he did it this week, it reminded me to, to do one for a drawer pull. So I made it as a drawer pull. And what it is, it's just a way to manipulate the metal. You you prepare the, the, the corners of the metal, you heat it and you twist it 360 degrees and it makes this beautiful pattern where these hmm. cubes, they look like they're kind of pierced through the rod and they're just like kind of fanned out like like a cards in a deck kind of. It's kind of hard. What's like, the shape that it that it starts with? Though? It's a perfect cube. It's a perfect square. It's a square tube, and you uh, you put lines down each one of the four sides of the extrusion. Oh, it's five eighths okay. rod, solid rod, and then you sure. cut like diagonal corners. So you cut like the notches into one corner, and then the opposite side on the other diagonal. And then when you heat it up and twist it, you have like a, a row of steps, and a and then a straight row, and then a row of steps, and then a straight row. It's and, so less complicated than when it looks like in the photo yeah, yeah like when you arrive at the finished product it looks really cool and it looks so bizarre but when you make it it's really simple so i, I did that and i gave it a purpose i used it as a drawer pull to a project i did a few months ago this this drawer underneath my lathe i never put a handle on it and i always needed to so finally i was able to marry those two projects so that's my make video but i was going to make a big tent pole mallard with a green head <laughs> A mallard. Yeah, with like I was going to go out in the woods and cut a tree down from the beaver pond because the tree would have already been dead, so I don't get any hate mail for killing a tree. And uh, <clears throat> I was going to put a big hand. I was going to make like a Gallagher mallard, mallet, 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 mallard, mallard. That's our mallard that's mallard. our that's our next T-shirt. It's just going to be a big mallet, and it's going to say mallard below it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Make a, so what are we talking about this week? <laughs> I'm going to make a green-headed mallard. We talked about pre-show um, manufacturing. Considering my, my figurines came out this week later than expected, I'm not sure, though. I think we might still be – technically, there was a kind of fine print on the, uh, on the, the toy backer page uh, that we had this certain amount of window time between 150 and – I don't know, between like 90 and 120 days or something. Carlos puts that in there because manufacturing anything is so complicated and takes so much time. And uh, we were just going to talk a little bit about how long things take and how unexpected twists and turns cause you to rethink and also figure out how and where to get them manufactured. You know, you might be going down the road with one factory and then suddenly you realize they absolutely don't have the capabilities of doing what you want. And then you have to literally shift gears, especially when you have orders on hand, like we had with the figurines, the resin figures. And uh, so we're just going to talk a little bit about that. Um, the way the way the figurines came about, many people know, but many people may not. Uh, Carlos is a friend of mine that I know from the toy business, and he spent many years in the action figure business working for Toy Biz. And Toy Biz was one of the first toy companies instrumental with making Spider-Man. Remember the very first Spider-Man movie came out and it was like such a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Batman had been around, but and I guess Batman spurned the Spider-Man movies. And then all of a sudden, all these comic book movies started really blowing up. Well, working at Toy Biz was one of the main factors for that for Carlos. And Carlos was involved in making a lot of those action figures. He is a, a very skilled project manager and 
you know, he's more of a, a, a producer as opposed to like an artist. I mean, he's an artist in his own right, but he's a producer. He marries the sculptors with the factories, with the, with the sketch artists. And so he started his own website called Toybacker, And we had a meeting just about old times and discussing. And in that meeting, Taylor said, you should do an action figure of you because we were discussing uh, Carlos's history as an action figure designer. And that's how this whole thing got started. And Carlos said, do you need to raise money for anything? And I said, yeah, well, I'm trying to make this barn I want to do. And he goes, great. Well, let's figure out how to, you know, how much money you want to try and raise. And I said, I don't think I could raise all of it. I don't think there's that many people that want my action figure. And uh, I was kind of a little reluctant to go down that road just because it's still, it's still bizarre to me to see this action figure of myself. So I took it, the whole thing with like a, you know, a tongue in cheek approach that people could cut it up and play with it and be stupid with it. And, uh, Carlos kept going down the road and he was in the shop one day and he goes, let me take some pictures of you. And so I stood up on this box and I put my foot up and he goes, do you want to hold anything? I was like, oh, let me hold my little aluminum axe. And so he took like a bunch of iPhone pictures of me. And within like two months, he had these guys called the Four Horsemen, who are a uh, very famous sculpting group who ran a hugely famous Kickstarter campaign, all of which I learned at the time. And uh, so the the four horsemen sculpted this for me because he Carlos knows them. So they sculpted this figure of me, which looks exactly like the photographs he sent that he took that day. I thought for some reason I thought they were going to like give me huge muscles and like you know tight pants, and I was going to be like in a leotard. Not exactly a leotard, <laughs> but <laughs> he he sent over at least a cape. I mean, yeah, I had no be... cape. He took these these pictures of me where I looked like you know the average middle aged man that I am with like a little belly. And this little figurine came back of an average middle-aged man with a little belly. I'm like, <laughs> you could have made me a little slimmer. You know, this is fantasy, isn't it? I mean, and Carlos insisted I look good. So um, <laughs> those were the, that was the early sculpt. There was only a few of those in the, in the early videos. You see that. And uh, so then when the, the, the campaign got fully funded, which I think we raised $35,000, and a large portion of that went to paying for the figures. I can't, I don't remember the exact amount and it's still being flushed out. Whatever there's, if there's anything left over, I'll get the, the end of it. But I think it's at least $10,000 of it went to making the figurines. Um, as far as, you know, the, the logistics, finding a factory, uh, you know, Carlos going there and picking and, you know, we had to pay the four horsemen back uh, for their initial sculpt. And then it got re-sculpted again at the factory and then getting the paint samples right. There was there's quite a bit that goes into it. It's uh, it's very involved. And Carlos went to about four or five different factories. He sent me samples from each one of the factories just to have my input. But I, I certainly trusted him, uh, given the fact that he has much more experience than, than, than I do. And then when you go and visit these factories, you look at their capabilities. You look at the products they made before. You ask around. Obviously, people can show fake portfolios, but you want to find out their reputation. You know, you go to stores that have their product and you look and you see, and you make sure that they could have the production and that they could do it. You give them part of the money to get started and you don't want them to disappear with it. So it's a big risk all around. And, uh, it just, and it always takes longer than you would expect. And, uh, so now these things are being shipped. It's amazing. It's been about one year since we started the campaign initially. I think we hmm. started last May. That's awesome. So uh, now they're shipping. And I uh, just to clarify, I mean, not everybody listens to this podcast, but I got an extra 75 made just to have in stock so that I could sell to, you know, a lot of uh, people want gifts for people that are fans of mine. So they want to surprise somebody 
somebody that knows somebody that likes me says, Hey, they call me and they're like, Hey, I, I know you make videos. I'm not a maker or anything, but my husband worships you and he wants a gift. So is there anything? So that's why I got the extra 75 in case people wanted to get gifts for people. And they won't be coming to me until all the people that donated get theirs first. So it takes up a lot of space, 75 figures. So they want to make sure that everybody that's obligated to get one gets one first, and then I'll get my batch in a couple of weeks. So mm. once I have them in-house, then I'll put them on the website and make them available, but they'll only be 75. And then if and when there is a demand, I can't imagine there would be, but maybe I'll get another 100 made. But they are all hand painted. Every there are people that every one of those figurines is hand painted by somebody with a paintbrush in their hand. And, wow. Oh wow. And you know, people see production factory. This isn't like a plastic action figure that has like tampo printing and uh like spray masks. Considering it's a resin figure, it's cheaper to get started in the factory. You don't the tooling doesn't cost as much. They literally pour resin into rubber molds, just like we would do like when I made my chest pieces. They do that. And then there's a large number of pieces that don't pass muster, so they don't get used. So, you know, for every 20 you make, there's like two or three that, that don't get used. So there's a pile of sculpted figurines sitting in this thing with like, you know, bubbles in the face and the hands and stuff. So it's all hand done. It is really all hand done. Hmm. So. Yeah. Good. So last October, I put out a book and that book took about a year and a half to put together and actually get out. And it's a it's a pretty small book, but it took way longer than I ever would have imagined. And what I want to do is kind of relate this to smaller projects that you might do in your shop, why those projects might take a long time. But I'll start off with the book where I was already doing my normal work and then I was trying to fit in this this book in the gaps. And so it always felt like this like when do I find time to do the next thing? And I kept putting it off and we had these little milestones. And as soon as a milestone would come up, I would just like drop everything and, and try to reach that milestone. And then mm -hmm. the book was supposed to come out in September and got delayed until October. There's always delays. The um, Something was happening at the printer. So when, whenever you have a project that has to go into somebody else's hands, yeah. it's completely out of your control. Usually delays will happen because you don't know if they're backed up. You don't know if you've. Um, I used to work in the ad age, for an ad agency, and many times we would send stuff off to the printer and didn't meet their specs. Like you would have a photo that's not CMYK, and they would kick it back, and like you you have to meet our specs. So all these unexpected things. You got to remember up. too that that book was your baby. You know, this figurine was my baby with Carlos. Carlos was really the. I was like the stepdad of this project. Carlos was the dad. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, I was always like, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe we're making a resin figure of me. It's kind of stupid. But <laughs> Carlos kept saying, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And, you know, he was very enthusiastic and and he really, really kept this threshold, you know, his, his enthusiasm high. Um, but yeah, that's, that's your baby. That book was your baby. And, you know, people who get it, these projects are like, oh, you want me to take care of your baby for a couple hours? You know, I'm, I never wanted to be a father to begin with. And, uh, you know, even though that's their job is to, you know you know, um, mm -hmm. quotes, daycare of this project for the, for the, for the meantime, but they don't care as much as you at the right. end of the day. If this project fails, that business is still going to keep going. You're the one that's going to look like a big idiot or, you know, you're not able to deliver. So yeah. you know, anytime you do these things, it's your baby. And anytime you bring it into anywhere that has to do with getting your baby to be grown up, they don't care nearly as much as you. 
So right. it's difficult. You got to keep everybody's enthusiasm high on the project. Yeah, I mean, I ran into that just, I, th- I think it's, you know, partially enthusiasm like that, but partially just there, as soon as you bring in somebody from the outside of like what you're doing and what you want, there's just a bunch of variables that you have zero control over, even if they're, those people are the most well-intentioned. Like when I was That's doing true. the arcade, you know, like I had people reach out to me and say, we want to make your graphics, we want to print your graphics for you. Like that wasn't somebody I asked them to do. They, they, were, they cared about it. They wanted to do graphics for me. Of course, I said yes. Why wouldn't I? And so they were very patient, but then they printed them. But then there was like this whole shipping thing that wasn't their fault. It wasn't my fault. But, you know, it was like a good two or three weeks of these awesome graphics being stuck in a UPS facility somewhere because something was filled out incorrectly or whatever. And, you know, it was like nobody's fault. But it's, that's the one of the only projects that I've ever had to wait on because of something that was totally out of my control. And that's also one of the only projects that I've ever been relying on somebody else to do part of it for me. You know, everything else is like, and so, I mean, that's a, anytime you work with vendors or, you know, outside designers or Jimmy, I'm sure you deal with that a lot. These designers who are doing a home and you're just doing a piece of it. You're, you're a cog in that machine and you know, you're downstream to a point. So you have to wait on everybody upstream to do their part and get the thing to you. Yep. Um, But also this makes me think about, We've talked in the past about <clears throat> hiring people or, you know, bringing on somebody as an assistant or things like that. And this makes me, th- this thinking about it in this way makes me a little concerned about that. You know, as soon as you bring on somebody to work for you, and maybe you can speak to this, Jimmy, you bring somebody on to work for you, there's a certain level of disconnect between like their enthusiasm, like we said, but also just another person is in the mix. There's another life there. There's another set of, of opinions and another set of time and another schedule and another, you know. And, but and translating for, your vision into yeah. what they have to do. Yeah. But for a business to grow, I mean, it can't, well, in most cases, it can't always stay one person. So there's like a weird back and forth there. But with having, you know, somebody help you in the shop for several years, Jimmy, has that, how has that affected like your overall productivity and like, was there an adjustment period of there? You know? Well, you know, I, I always like to think I could figure it all out on my own. And, and, you know, I always, honestly, this is stupid, but true. I was like, well, at the end of the day, if I, if I don't sleep for a couple of weeks, you know, for a couple of nights in a row, I'll be able to get everything done. Like when I, when my look workload, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll just, I'll sleep, sleep a couple hours a night and I'll be able to fit all this in. But, you know, having Dave around and Willie's been helping me a tremendous amount too. I mean, I, Dave set up on the CNC machine. He just, he, he CNC'd 160 ice picks this morning, you know, cause I have to engrave them and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's manned labor, although it's not fun and it's just, it's boring. And so whenever I do that, I'm just usually checking text messages and answering mails because I had to set up and wait three minutes, set up and wait three minutes. It's usually quicker, but, um, so having Dave around, you know, when, when it works, it's great because two guys getting stuff done, it gets it done twice as fast. And uh, Dave's going to be in the screen video because we had to sand and and clean up the edge of the frame. And uh, together, he had his side to work on. I had my side to work on. So we're both going to be in that doing the same thing. We got it done in 10 minutes. If I had to do it alone, it would have taken me 45 minutes because mm-hmm. I, I would have, you know, even just his eyes on it, inspecting it as much as my eyes, inspecting my side, you know, it's it definitely helps. I know you you have somebody helping you now, right? Yeah. And I, I have somebody that helps edit and he was here today all day and mm. 
he does probably 90% of my editing now and yeah. I come back at the end and do a little adjustments. <clears throat> the thing that's interesting about that though is he's like one of my best friends in the world. So there's a certain am- amount of like familiarity there with and trust. you know in trust, yeah. And he's already invested in I like to make stuff as a company because he has been around the mm-hmm. entire time. He right. made my logo. He does oh, all my great. graphic design. You know, he's like invested in it as an outlet for what he does as a designer and as a developer and all this different stuff. So there's a, there's a, that works really well for us. And then when I think about expanding the company further, getting like an assistant or somebody coming in that's, that doesn't have that investment, you know, like it might work. It'll probably work, but it yeah. may not too. You know, I mean, it, no, I mean, that's, that, that's I guess the that's great thing the about Dave, things. too, is Dave's like, oh, man, you know, we could do, we could do, you know, because Dave now has, yeah. the, we have the common goal of YouTube, you know. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think maybe the common goal is like one of the good things that, mm-hmm. that you could flesh out ahead of time to make that work. Because if I brought in somebody else to help and they didn't have the same vision, didn't have the same experience, and they were just there as like hourly labor, they may do what I expect. They may not. They may not care. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... I wouldn't care if I went to a, a lot of jobs that, you know, were just things that weren't important to me. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about. Like as you grow, you know, how do you do it in a way that actually makes you productive, not makes you unproductive. Yeah. But, um, so one of the things I was thinking about, we were talking about like, um, why projects can take longer, you know, from a small shop, just let's look at one person. Um, and they're making things in the shop, why some things can take longer than you expect them to. One of the things that <clears throat> kind of stood out to me is that there's there's a bunch of different types of people, but I'm going to boil it down to two because that's easiest to talk about. So there's one type of person that likes to, and I think the three of us are probably in this camp, the ones that want to innovate and like we do a thing and then we either want to do a vastly different version of that thing, or we want to go do something entirely different. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to figure out a, a new, let's make a ax out of a whatever, or let's yeah. make a thing out of a thing. Right. And then there's other people that like to refine. And so they make an ax and then they think I can make another one and I can do it better. And they make another one and they make another one and they make another one and they get better and better and better mm-hmm. and better. And so if you look at like, if you base, depending on what you base your productivity on, and how you say project X is done has a lot to do with like, you know, how do you define done? For me, it's like getting something to a point to where it, it, it serves its purpose. It does what it's supposed to do. It's not going to kill anybody. It's not dangerous, whatever. Okay. I'm on to the next thing, right? <laughs> Other people, it's like, well, I didn't quite get that dovetail to exactly mm-hmm. the perfect fit that I wanted it to be. So I'm going to do it again and make it better. You see what Jay, you what know? Jay Bates has been doing. Exactly. Yeah. That's a perfect example. He is refining his getting technique right. and it's amazing to yeah. watch that. He's he's getting very, very good. And that's like a, a thing that I would never, I don't say never, but I probably wouldn't ever be able to put myself into that pattern to be able to refine something to the point of, of what he's doing yeah. you know, with his hand cut stuff. But anyway, that just stuck out to me as like, that could be a really big reason as why things take longer because you may have the expectation about yourself that I'm going to do this thing, get it done and move on to the next one. In reality, you may be a refinement person that says, I'm going to do this thing, but I'm not quite happy with it. And I'm going to keep working on it. Wow. This is taking twice as long, three times as long, 10 times as long as I thought it would, but it's also getting twice as much, you know, as perfect three times better. Well, you want to hear something funny. You bring up an interesting point. 
I made my ice picks, and then a couple weeks ago, Dave and I, last month, we did a mailbag video where I talk about what I get in the mail and just updates and questions, which we're going to do, I think, tomorrow. Um, and I just kind of offhandedly said, I'm making the ice picks. Eventually, they'll be made in Hong Kong, and then there'll be half as much money. And I thought people would like, and I got so many emails. You can't make your ice picks in China. The whole reason American made, you got to keep jobs in America. And then so I started, I'm like, you know what? Maybe people are onto something, considering the fact that my friend in China still can't find somebody to make them for me properly. Hmm. He's been at it for months and he still, he fed, he went through three factories, one which is selling my samples on eBay. You guys notice I got through some fans sent me uh, uh, on eBay, Jimmy DeResta ice picks, four available for $30 each. Now, I don't know who's going to buy ice picks for me for 60 and then resell them for 30. It makes no sense. So I think it's the factory that made samples that we walked away from because they weren't doing good samples. Anyway, uh, and the picture they used is the picture from my website. So it's the picture that my friend Scott took. So that it's like confusing. People are like, it's the same picture that's on your website, but why are these only $30 from China? They're literally from huh. China. It's from a f- company set up in China. And uh, so by default, I'm getting better and better and better at making the ice picks faster, more efficient. You know, Dave and Willie are both also now involved. And now I'm an ice pick factory. Uh, at first I was making them for fun. And I'm like, oh, these will be kind of cute. And now making them for money. People still want them. As long as people still want them, I guess I'm going to just keep making them for me. Hmm. I've actually bought some tools to improve my quality and my my uh, my output. And uh, just yesterday, this is a stupid nuance. I probably won't even need to explain it. But I came up with this one little thing by accident, which improves the the workflow. A stupid thing. I ground the cutting head for something. And now when I poke a hole to, to pre-drill my hole, I use like a, a side cutter. It has a little notch, which predetermines the bevel. It's just kind of, it's like high tech stuff. But I had another little breakthrough this weekend, cutting handles. So every time, so I'm up to like 500 and something now. So every time I I do a batch, whether it's me cutting just the holes for the ice pick to go in, or if it's just me doing the the word duresta on it, or whether it's me making the solder for joint for the ring, I keep improving every single time I do a batch, I do a batch, I do a batch. And so by default, I'm looking all around for somebody to make these for me so I don't have to do it. But it's sort of becoming fun hmm. because I'm like, oh, now I'm going to come up with a new technique, which is going to make it even easier for the next hundred I make and so on and so on. And so by default, I'm becoming the factory because I can't find anybody to make them for me. And I can also keep the same price that I established because I'm the one that's still making them at the same established price. The whole reason I was trying to shop around is so I don't have to do it. And so I can make them cheaper for, for the fans. But the fans don't want them if I'm not making them. That's what I've been told. Hmm. I mean, on a, on a grand scale, I was hoping to maybe sell them also to like, you know, a small retail outlet, other people's websites, if I had thousands of them available. But since I'm only making them a little bit at a time, I still have to only kind of boutique them through my, my website. But we'll see where it goes. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I've, I've uh, come to the point where now I'm like accepting the fact that I'm probably going to have to keep making these, whereas I was hmm. like trying to avoid that fact. Well, so, you know, things become, the more rare things are, the more valuable they are in the in the eyes of a collector. And I, and I know that because I was a toy collector for years and years. And so it doesn't really matter like how good, and I'm not, this isn't a dog on your product. I'm no, just I saying understand. it doesn't matter how good the toy is. If there's five of them that were ever made, right. they're valuable, right. right? So, I mean, it's that same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. As long as you are making them in the quantities that come out at a hundred at a time, they're going to have value, you know, but... That's, I guess, eventually at some point you'll have to decide whether that hundred at a time is worth the time that you're putting into it, you know. 
at that cost. Whenever I, when I get that check from my facilitator, Mo's like, oh, that's nice. Hmm. <laughs> I guess I'll make <laughs> another hundred more. Yeah, that is good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So there are two things that slow me down when I'm making projects. One is estimating. I est- Estimating was my least favorite class in college. I didn't even I didn't learn anything from it. I didn't pay attention. I think I cheated my way through that class because it was just boring. It was math. I never get the right amount of wood or or what I need. And so it's always multiple trips to the store. Hmm. And it's something I'm never really going to tr- it's what when you're doing woodworking it's really hard to estimate especially if you're picking out um if you're grain matching because you might get a board and you get it home and you're like and you're trying to figure out where that leg is going to come out of that board. And so a lot of it might be waste. And so you just get better at guessing what you need as as you as, as you go on. And another thing is is my excitement gets in the way. I start a project before I get all the hardware, all the drawer pulls, all the all the drawer slides and everything. Because I, I just I just want to get started building, and then when I get to the point where it comes time to install the drawer, I'm like, oh, I don't have the drawer slides. I need to go make another trip to the store to get that. Hmm. And we all know that five minute trip to the store is actually an hour. <laughs> and then you know, and, and you're, there's a lot of distractions that might happen along the way. So it's estimating and my and my excitement and not being fully prepared for the project. Yeah, I think not having materials on hand is is one of the bigger things that. I mean, I'm pretty good at like planning ahead to make sure that I have, you know, drawer slides and things like that. I know, you know, but there's often consumables that just will evaporate all of a sudden. Screws. You don't have enough screws. Yeah. Oh, I don't have that one bolt that I need. Why in the world would I have a two and, you know, half inch bolt of this thread without a nut? And, you know, I mean, like just random stuff that I need that I don't have. In fact, today I was working on the welding table, um, trying to go back and... Now that I'm getting a little bit better at welding, I was going to grind down some of the bad welds and redo them for practice, you know. And um, I start welding, and it's going all right. And then I put it down, did something, I came back, and did it again. And I'm like, wait, that's not right. Something changed. Pulled the trigger. I don't hear any gas. So I'm like, you know, now I'm conscious because I went through that mistake of not having the gas on in the past. Now I'm conscious of it. And I immediately thought, check the gas. Pull the trigger. There's no gas. Go to the tank. No pressure. I'm out of gas. Well, okay. That's it. <laughs> now I can't weld. So, but you know that puts me like a day behind because now I have to go That's get right. that consumable, yeah. that yeah. thing that just. Uh, that unfortunately, just you got to keep a few tanks around so that you're always having a couple available for an emergency. Yeah. But well, speaking of welding, you had uh, a thing a couple weeks ago where you had some technical issues, unexpected technical issues, and that set you back, right? Yeah, that was another weird thing. Um, I don't know if you guys have any insight on this, but so I was, I was doing a live stream, live streaming on Twitch every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good plug. Yeah, it's tomorrow. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, so I was going to weld on the thing and, um, I made up this little box. I was going to tack the corners together and nothing would work. It just like nothing. And so I, I mean, it was like, it was, it was turning on and I would try to pull the trigger and like it would, I could see it heat up. But there was no arc. There was no. It was like it was like it was no ground clip or something. It was really weird. So then I thought maybe the, I somehow fried the ground wire. Went through all these days of trying to figure out exactly what the problem was. Then I realized that 
having the welder setting on my metal welding cart didn't allow me to weld. So if I picked the welder up, set it on the concrete floor, I could weld on the cart and it worked fine. Which means that there's probably something about the welder, the case or something is grounding out. I don't know. That's weird. It's scary. It's very weird because it's a painted metal box. It has paint on the bottom of it. Should so have rubber feet it, on it as well. I don't think it has rubber oh, feet. Oh, it has but like the dimples I, that just touch down before the rest of the book. Yeah. Yeah. So what I did is I, t- I cut out a piece of the rubber floor mat. I have, you know, like the stuff you get at Harbor Freight or whatever that I was standing on. Cut a slice off of that, put it on the bottom rack, put the welder on top of that, welding fine. Perfectly huh. fine. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a little scary that I don't understand what's happening there because that seems like something that shouldn't happen. Well, I'll tell you my experience with the same exact welder. I think I have the same one. This Is it from Longevity? Mm-hmm. Yep. Same exact one, just stopped dead on me and wasn't welding, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I was in the middle of welding. I th- I'm trying to remember what video it was. I think it was making the, the, the Brompton sign. And uh, it just stopped working. And I couldn't figure out. I'd pull the trigger, everything would hum, but nothing would weld. Mm. And uh, I took the box off. I did everything. I looked for loose wires. And then out of frustration, I just slapped it really hard. And after that, it worked. (laughs) After like 45 minutes of fiddling around with it, I slapped it as hard as I could on the side. And it worked. That sounds like a joke, but it's absolutely 100% true. I don't know what it was. It, It still works. The last time I used it, it worked fine. Weird. Yep. This one's worked fine, uh, you know, ever since I put that insulation in between it and the cart. Yeah. But anyway, I, things like that, you know, Take there's long. no <laughs> there's no real clear reason as to what's going on there. Um, and then like missing out on, you know, consumables or any kind of stuff you need for a project always gets in the way. Yeah, a, a dumb, uh, you just reminded me of a dumb thing. I was making the 99.9 thing, the 999 thing that I did for Lincoln. I did kind of a commercial for them a few weeks ago and I was plasma cutting with their tomahawk plasma cutter. Um, and it, I was cutting through this half inch thick steel and it was going great. And then I, I turned away, I moved things around and, and then I trying to cut, wasn't cutting, kept, it kept stalling every time I pulled the trigger. I, I went down this road for about a half hour trying to figure, I changed the consumables in the tip, I ch- turned the electric on and off in the shop. The whole entire time, I took the ground plug off and I clamped it to the horse. So mm. I never clamped. I, it was literally right there, one inch away from the metal, but it wasn't on the metal. So in like the big picture, everything was looked correct, but it wasn't correct. The ground clamp wasn't on the piece of metal. Mm. I changed the tip of the gun to the, I have like a little bag of extra consumables. I changed that. I ch- checked my air pressure. I was going down this road for about 25 minutes. And then I'm like, hey, idiot, the, you took the ground clamp off and never put it back on. Yeah. Well, now that'll probably never happen to you again. No, it's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> but well, in my checklist, one- I'm like, oh, it's right there. But in my checklist in my mind, I'm like, it's right there. Why isn't it working? Oh, and then like in the second or fifth version of the checklist, I'm like, oh, it's clipped on the wood. It's not clipped on the metal. Hmm. So. so the one thing that will m- make sure your projects stay on time and get done when you think is they're going to get done is having a deadline. If somebody else mm. is counting on yeah. you, you know, if if you have clients, you know that you cannot miss a deadline and somehow things magically get done at the last second. Yeah. And so if you need to, have, you know, 
make make sure your your spouse is is counting on on <laughs> you to finish that that piece or you you have a client and there's a there's a there's an end date for that project i think that depends i think in general yeah i totally agree with you i think it also depends a lot on the personality of who we're talking about because i, I had an interesting conversation this weekend with some people we were talking about totally unrelated stuff but in this one conversation we had somebody say yeah, I'm like a people pleaser. I always have been. Like I go out of my way to make sure that everybody around me is like comfortable and, you know, has whatever and, you know. And then this other person in a different context said, yeah, I don't really care what anybody thinks. And I'm just going to tell it like it is. Something to that effect. But it's funny though. If you take those two people and you put them in in a deadline situation for someone else, they're going to react really differently. Somebody's going to want to make sure they hit that deadline to make sure that that thing gets done for that person. And the other person is going to be like, I don't really care. I'll get it done when I get it done. So that may work unless you're that other person. And then you may have to find a different thing or, you know, maybe you make that deadline for yourself or something, but that just jumped out to me because of that specific conversation I had this Hmm. weekend. Well, like with, with Carlos, I know Carlos had to buy time a few times because uh, things just, you know, there's a lot of nuances that I don't know about. He kind of didn't tell me, he didn't tell me everything. He just said, you know, we run into a little problems with figuring it out. But when you have a deadline, like you promised patrons and people that supported your campaign, you know, you have to, you have to nurture them and, and let them know that they're still high on your priority. Hmm. Even though it's not going to be the date I said, it's going to be later. You know, and I, I think m- when it comes to deadlines and having to change the deadline, I always tell people do not lie because you, you a, one little tiny lie could lead to a bigger one because when things start getting out of your control and you have a weird communication with your client and, you, you know, you're supposed to deliver these built things and then you just say, oh, my car broke down. Then when your car really breaks down, you can't use that excuse twice because then you look like <laughs> a complete idiot. So I always say just call the client and say, look, things got a little out of hand. I, I underestimated the time I need. I'm going to need some more time. And you know, it's always important to be, be honest. Yeah. So we had a, a question come in from Sandy and it's kind of along these same lines. So I'm going to throw it out there. She said, uh, or he said, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. I'm curious, how many concurrent projects do you have underway at any given time? Or do you make a concerted effort to start finish a single project each time? Hmm. I think we're probably all different about this. I, I always have projects cooking in the background. Um, I try uh, to always have a couple of projects cooking. Um, it's I've been so loaded with like real work and work that I'm not filming that I'm a little, uh, my own channel is, is lacking a little bit, but I'm working on my core video. I have my make video for this week ready to go. And I have a couple of projects for my channel that are kind of bumping along. But uh, I always have a few things going at, at one given time, at any given time. And by the way, you know, we talked last couple of weeks about me filming the sign. I've been filming this particular sign and it's completely different than any sign I've ever made. So I'm glad yes. that I filmed it. I'm going to have to recreate the opening scene because I didn't film that. So it's just a CNC cutout. And I, I can actually use that CNC cutout in a different aspect of the job. But this particular sign is looks as similar as something I've done, but it's all new techniques that I've nice. never done before. So. Awesome. The haters for the sign channel are going to have to <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> sign channel coming through. <laughs> what about you, David? I, I think you're probably different in that way. Yeah. So recently I had a couple projects going at the same time. And I found that I, I finished one project and then the footage sat on my computer and I started the next project. I'm like, I'll just work on these at the same time. But I, what I found was 
that I stopped caring about the previous project and I was fully into the next one. And it seemed like when it came time to go edit that footage, it felt like this is a chore because I'm already, my mind is already transferred all its energy to this, this next thing. And so I think I'm just the type of person who likes one project at a time. Hmm. I'm, I'm different in that I like to have several things going, not for the sake of having a bunch of stuff going, but so that everything stays moving. I think like, um, if I were to do one project at a time, I would get to the end of one and think like, oh no, the next one hasn't even been started yet. It should have already been to X, you know, whatever. So I may have already talked about this, and if I have, you can tell me to shut up. But I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking, when I started doing um, the Twitch streaming, so live streaming from the shop for a couple hours once a week was the plan, and I had to look at my week and say, like, when would I do that? When could I consistently do that? Because I wanted to have a consistent time, day and time, so that people knew, you know, to come. And the only way I could think through that all was to write out a piece of paper with a line, a little uh, column for each day of the week. And then each day of the week I started blocking out time. We did talk about this a little bit, but I blocked out like not specific times, but like on Mondays, I need to get these things done on Tuesdays. I need to get these done. You know, Wednesday I have to do this and whatever. And that helped me a lot to be able to assign like Monday and Tuesday are shop times and Tuesday is podcast day. And Wednesday is now the stream day and Thursday is shop time and Friday is website time. And that's, that's about as specific as it got. But the thing that was interesting about that was that now I can overlap that same schedule two or three weeks at a time. And I can see that on Monday and Tuesday, I should be doing shop time for next week's project. So the video that's going to be edited is next week. And then on Thursday and Friday, I'm doing the website stuff for the next week's project that's going out, you know, so it's all kind of like the stair stepping thing. So within a given week, I'm working on several different things and the next week I'm finishing some starting other new ones. And then the next week it's finishing those and starting other new ones. And so it's not really that I like to have a bunch of things going at one time, but everything is always moving forward to some degree, you know, have multiple things kind of stair-stepping or like leapfrogging is more like it, I guess. But that, that also only kind of works because I'm not doing all my editing, my own editing anymore. If I had to do that, that would be very different. And I would probably be a lot more like what you're saying, where like, I have to get through this next stage to be able to move on to the next project. Um, so like, you know, somebody that was creating, um, you know, say you were making signs in your shop to sell or something like that. Somebody who's creating a thing to sell, there's going to be a bunch of those. Like you have to finish this one before you can get on to the next one. It's not a matter of like overlapping a bunch of things, you know, because you can't sell anything unless it's completed. So, you know, maybe there's a difference there in what the output is and, right. and how many people you have on hand. But, yep. Well, that's probably a good place to wrap up that topic um but before we talk about what we're watching i want to thank our patreon supporters real quick especially make build modify elijah taylor dominic defino john cornwell luis gonzalez and jeremy white they're our top supporters again on patreon awesome thank you thank you, thank and, you. Uh, they and everybody else we're really grateful thank you support. guys i really appreciate that yes 
and um, we're going to talk to one of them today. We get to the people that are the, in the top tier of Patreon supporters. We do a hangout with after we record this show. We get to get to know them a little bit. So doing that today. Fun. So what are you guys been watching? So I recently discovered this channel called Great Big Story. And they're all like short little three-minute videos. And it looks like almost every day, at least every other day. But they're like stories of just people. And uh, a couple of the most recent ones was New York City's last accordion repairman. Oh, wow. It's just really awesome that you just get to see people in their natural environment and what they're crazy passionate about. And then uh, earlier today, there was another video that I thought was very interesting called The Dark Origins of the Game of Life. And it talks about how Milton Bradley came up with the game of life. And it's just a bunch of quick little stories. It's very, very digestible. Uh, that headlines aren't clickbaity. You know, just hmm. a really good channel. Hmm. Nice. Well, I went through my, my history and every other video is a John Oliver video or... <laughs> Bill Maher. And that's primarily because I'm just trying to get myself educated on what's going on with the upcoming elections. So John Oliver really is, uh, I've talked about him before, probably online or maybe before we start the show, but I'm sort of addicted to him. And I don't have HBO or I don't have uh, TV. So I'm always constantly checking the website to see it or their YouTube channel to see if they post it because they, they'll, they'll run it on live and then they'll, they'll repost it on YouTube. And uh, so John Oliver is great just to get the behind the scenes and the full girth of an education on a topic. Mm. Um, you know, maybe it's a liberal point of view, but I kind of like watching it. And um, Bill Maher, another liberal fascist <laughs> dictator that I like to watch. I, I actually saw Bill Maher perform live about a year and a half ago. I'm not a Bill Maher fan, but uh, watching him, I mean, he, he was, he, I think he's a comedian first, then... Yeah. Whatever you call what he does now. Fascist um, dictator. Really? Fascist wow. dictator, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting. It was interesting. I'll say that. No, I mm. say that jokingly. I like Bill Maher. I, 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 like I said, I watch those two guys just to get an education. You know, not everybody's cup of tea, but I, I, I enjoy their their take on topics. Mm. Cool. Um, I actually have two recommendations, and they're both music. So this week... Have you guys ever heard of the band Thrice? Mm-hmm. I've heard of them. I don't know if I can spot their music. They're, I'm not even sure they're around anymore. They are around because they have a new song coming out. They, um, they're a fantastic band. And they, they started out like the super heavy, screaming, like raw, you know, stuff. And then it it moved. It like progressed into some really beautiful melodic rock stuff. But it still got like this uh, this heavy thing to it. I don't know. They're awesome, but they broke up several years ago or they just kind of said we're done because like we don't want to tour anymore. We all have kids and whatever. And then all of a sudden there's a new album coming out. (laughs) So pretty excited about that. And the other one is a band that I just ran across that I don't really know anything about, but I bought two albums off of Bandcamp called Cloud Kicker. And it's one guy and he's been making music for a long time, apparently. Um, And it's this really awesome uh, big atmospheric rock stuff. It's kind of like right in my wheelhouse. So um, anyway, two good recommendations, music recommendations. What's that I'll second one called? Cloud Kicker. And I actually found it because 
Um, a guy we all know, Tyler at Make Magazine, made a video on Make's channel recently, and I don't remember which one it was. That's why it seems familiar, yeah. Yeah, and he used a Cloud Kicker song as the song for the video, and I immediately was like, I gotta go find out who those guys are. Which and video was it stuff. that Tyler made? Which video? I, I, looking I, think, at? I think it was the bending plastic ones. Acrylics, yeah. Acrylics. Acrylics. Oh, the, so the yeah. tips on acrylic? Yeah. Cool. But anyway, this band is all, as far as I can tell, it's all um, instrumental. So it's just like instrumental rock stuff, which is fun. Cool. So, yeah. Um, you guys got anything else for this week? That's it. That's it. Making That's stuff it. is hard to do. That's it. <laughs> it takes time. Making yep, up is hard it. to do. <laughs> Whether we like it or not. Uh, anybody knows listening to Neil Sedaka, can you guess? Making no. stuff is hard to do. <laughs> I'm not a singer. Yeah. I play Wait, one what? on TV. <clears throat> I have a very raspy voice today, I don't know why. <clears throat> not enough well, we'll sleep. Fix man. it in fix it in editing. Yelling at Dave. <laughs> Get those aspects done. Not enough sleep. <laughs> That's really what it is. <clears throat> Cool. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Did you guys? Uh, did you guys entertain my idea of the shirt that says "I love you"? <laughs>